all today. You can take a seat. It's great to be here. Today is Compassion Sunday, so I'm very excited to be chatting to you about the amazing work of compassion, encouraging you from God's Word. So um, let's quickly pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for who you are. We pray that you speak to us today. Thank you for your presence. The power that came at Pentecost is here with us today. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. So we thank you for that power. And we pray, Lord God, that you fulfill your purpose today as your word goes out. We know it will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever met anyone famous? I don't have any really great celebrity stories. I was in Central Park in New York once and I ran into Beck and Leighton Hewitt when they were trying to have a quiet picnic. I was the annoying Aussie that wanted to get a photo with them, but not really A-grade celebrity. Sorry, Leighton. We did see Dave Hughes, Hughesy, at a cafe in Tasmania early in the year. And I was, we were sort of having breakfast and I was doing the side eye. I just couldn't focus. For some reason, I just wanted to see what he was doing. Poor man was just trying to have his coffee. But if you have any good celebrity talk stories, come and tell me afterwards, because I love hearing about when you see people who are famous. We have this bit of an obsession of people who are important. We love seeing them and observing them and knowing about their lives. Whenever you're at a conference and they introduce the speaker, we always want to know the accolades about who they are. We want to know that they're the chairman of this board, that they're the CEO of this organisation, that they're the professor of this field of study. We're impressed by their title. Whenever I see those letters after people's names in their email signature, I never know what they mean, but they're impressive. I think, hmm, that person must be intelligent. They've gone to uni for a long time. I have a friend, some of you will know him, it is an Australian author, and his name's Sam Chan. And he went to Bible college, he got his bachelor's degree, his master's degree, and he went on to do his PhD in theology. So officially, he is Dr. Sam Chan. But before he went to Bible college, he was also a medical doctor. He was a GP, he went on to be a specialist. So he's the only person who I know who officially should be called Dr. Dr. Sam Chan. It doesn't really go by that, but we do like titles. We're impressed by them. And so the question for today is, what is God's title? How does he define himself? Well, in Psalm 68, if you put it on the screen, Psalm 68, it says the name, his name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Out of all the ways that God could describe himself, he says, I'm a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. If God was to be our guest speaker for the next City Church Conference, there'd be so many different ways that we could introduce him. He created the world. He parted the Red Sea. He raised Jesus from the dead. But no, God would say, no, this is how I want you to introduce me. Tell them that I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That is who God is. He doesn't stand with the princes and the kings and the rulers. He's not interested in the best seat at the table. He associates with the lowly, the poor and the oppressed. He says, that's how I want to be known. That's who I am. And we see that all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, God created laws to protect the vulnerable, to make sure that the poor were provided for. 
or throughout the prophets, they're constantly rebuking God's people, saying, you have neglected the orphan and the widow. You have forgotten about the vulnerable. You've forgotten that you were once strangers and aliens in the land, and now you're not caring for those same people. In fact, Jesus in Luke rebukes the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, you Pharisees and scribes. He says, you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin, but you've forgotten about the weightier matters of justice and mercy. He's saying to them, you're so meticulous in trying to obey the law. You even get your little spice cabinet out and make sure that you tithe out 10% of your cumin. But you're neglecting the poor. He's like, you've forgotten who I am. The law is not a list of rules. It's meant to help you reflect my character. And I'm telling you, I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God cares for the orphan and the widow. He cares for the poor and the vulnerable. And as I said, today is Compassion Sunday. And Compassion was founded on this principle of caring for the orphan. I've told this story before, but I can't help but tell it again. Compassion began back in 1952. There was a man named Everett Swanson. He was an evangelist. And he was from America. He travelled to South Korea during the Korean War. He was going to preach to the troops. He arrived late one night, but he couldn't sleep from the jet lag. And so he got up early in the morning and began to walk the streets. It was the middle of winter, so all of the streets and the houses were covered in snow. And as as Everett walked along, feeling the crunch of the snow under his feet, he noticed something peculiar. He saw an army truck driving along the road, but it kept stopping in front of people's houses. These soldiers would jump off the truck, they'd go up to the front of these homes and they'd shake a pile of rags in the doorway. He noticed them do this again and again and as they shook the rags, he noticed that if they moved, they would be left. But if they were still, these soldiers would pick up the rags and throw them onto the back of the truck. As Everett watched this process again and again... He realised in horror that these rags weren't rags. They were children huddling together, trying to stay warm. And as they shook the rags, they were checking which children hadn't made it through the night and then throwing them on the back of the truck. Everett was so moved that as he flew back to America, he heard God say to him in the whir of the plane, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about what you have seen? What are you going to do? So Everett went back home. He was sharing with a friend of his about all that he had seen and how God had moved in his heart to respond. His man, this man leaned back in his office chair and he opened a drawer in his desk. He said, a few months ago, God said to me, I want you to write a check for $1,000. This is back in 1952. He said, I didn't know what it was going to be for, for, but he told me to do it. And he handed Everett that check, and he became the first supporter of compassion. Everett went back to South Korea, and what began as caring for 12 orphans whose parents had been killed in the Korean War now cares for over 1.7 million children in 26 developing countries around the world. 
And it's because of the faithfulness of people like you in this room who are choosing to reflect the character of God, choosing to say, I'm going to care for the orphan and the widow. I'm going to reject what the world tells me to do, which is just look after myself. I'm going to open up my hand to what God has called me to do. And you are doing that. Within this church alone, there are over 130 children sponsored from a region within the Philippines. Exactly. It's phenomenal. That ongoing generosity that is reflecting the heart of the Father. And that's the thing. God doesn't just say that he is a father to the fatherless. He wants us to do that as well. It says in James 1.27, if you want to put it on the screen... Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here, James is saying, you want a religion that is pure and undefiled? You want me to describe what it means to follow God? I'll tell you, it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction He doesn't say to pray five times a day. He doesn't say to read the Bible from beginning to end. Those things are good and important, but he's making a point. Actually, the biggest way that you can display your faith is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction because it shows that something has happened in your heart. All throughout the book of James, he's saying, don't just hear the word. Make sure you do it. Don't just look at a mirror and then walk away unchanged. Let it change your behavior. I remember one person said that we don't have, in our society, we don't have a problem with information. We have a problem with application. We're not short on hearing information. We have podcasts and conferences we can go to and great resources. Our struggle is in putting it into action. And James says, don't be like that. Don't be just hearers of the word. Be doers because that's in the transforming. He says that our faith isn't by doing. Actually, it's the evidence of our faith. We're not saved by our works, but a saving faith produces work. When we have been saved, we know that we want to overflow the heart of God into our actions. And in that verse, when he uses that word visit, it's a loaded word. He says to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And back in 1 Samuel 22, when Hannah is praying to God, calling out to him, it says that the Lord visited Hannah, same word, and she fell pregnant and conceived and gave birth to a child. Later on in Ruth, when God's people were starving, it says that God visited his people, same word, and gave them food. Again, in Luke, when a widow had lost her son, God, Jesus went to Nain and he raised that son from the dead. And the people say, God has visited this home. Same word. The word visit means God gets involved. He gets his hands dirty. This is not just a superficial tick box. When God visits, he gets involved. And so when James says that a religion that's pure and undefiled is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, he's saying, get your hands dirty, get involved. And there are so many different ways that we can heed this command from God. One of the ways is to sponsor a child. So many of you are doing that already. 
Some of you may want to join all of the other people who are sponsoring. And if you can sponsor a child, I encourage you to do that today for the first time or for a second or a third time. For others, that may not look financial. That may be thinking through who are the people in my extended family who need my love? Who are the widows who need me to sit with them, to do a crossword with them, to spend time with them, even when it feels like an inconvenience? Who are the people in my world who need some extra love? Often in compassion, we talk about children who are functionally fatherless. It means that they have a father, but they're absent. And in the Philippines, where our church partners, it's a rampant issue. I remember when I was over there, I met so many mothers, single mothers, who would tell me their heartbreaking stories. One woman, I remember, she told me that she was 32 weeks pregnant and her husband said she was, he was going into Manila for work. Her son was four years old when I met her and she said, after that day, I never saw him again. These men, burdened by the weight of having to provide for their family, flee. And they leave their wife and children without a provider and without a protector. These are the fatherless that God calls us to come and stand beside. And so I encourage you to respond today, to ask God, how can I respond to this? Who can I care for in my world? How can I get my hands dirty? How can I care particularly for the orphan and the widow, the foreigner, the vulnerable? If you want to put up a photo, this is a photo of Collins and his grandmother, Nachi. Nachi and Collins. Collins' father abandoned when he was young and his mother also passed away when he was only a little boy. So Collins has been raised by Nachi. But life has been tough for them. They would move from town to town as Nachi tried to find work. Yet she was old and all of the work required heavy labour. She said she would walk, work all day in farms and then she would lie awake at night worrying about Colin's future, worrying how she was going to provide for him, provide food for him, how to give him an education. One day a neighbour told them about the Compassion Project. They went there straight away and the Compassion Project director said she'll never forget the day that she met Nachi and Collins. She said when they came in, Collins was crying. He hadn't eaten for three days. Later on, they went to visit their home and Mary said that they're surrounded by poverty in Tanzania where they live. But this home was particularly dark. It was damp. There was no proper bedding. There was no food. They immediately signed Collins up. It meant that he was able to access healthcare. He was able to go to school. They also added extra support for him through the Highly Vulnerable Children's Fund that Compassion runs. They put proper bedding in his home. They fixed it up. They gave him food. Nachi was delighted. She said, so often I worried about his future. He is my boy, but now I know he is safe. But little were they to know that more devastation was just around the corner. At 3am one morning, Nachi and Collins were woken up by a loud bang. Concerned, they jumped out of bed and ran out of the house. They were alone, but they realised that torrential rain had collapsed their home. From that moment, they had to start moving around, living in other people's homes. Nachi said Collins wasn't able to go to school because he was constantly moving around. Once again, she worried about his future. Nachi would wake up at 3am every morning, the same time that their house collapsed, and pray and plead to God to provide a home for them knowing she could never afford it with their income. 
Her prayers were answered quickly. Mary, the local project director, asked to meet with Nachi and Collins. They took, she took them out to a field and she said, this is where your new home is going to be. We're going to build you a new home that will be your own. She says that at that time, Collins, a sly smile just rose on his face while Nachi just started jumping up and down and screaming for joy. She's a very exuberant grandmother. She said, no longer do I need to worry about my boy. He can go back to school. I know he will be taken care of. She says, if I was to ever meet the sponsor of Collins, I wouldn't be able to say a word because I would be overcome with emotion. But if I could open up my heart, he would see that it was bursting with joy. I praise God for you. Thank you for your grace. And that's the message that Nachi gives all of us who sponsor those stories are replicated all over the world where God hears the cries of the orphan. And often we get to be the answer to that prayer. We get to give out of the grace that God has given us. He wants us to care for the orphan and the widow, but we will never be able to do that until we have a revelation of who God is. We'll never be able to be the father to the fatherless until we know who our father is. So if you want to put up that James 1.27 verse again, just notice how James refers to God. He says, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He could have said religion that's pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans. He didn't even need to mention God. He could have just said religion that's pure and undefiled is this. But he wanted us to grasp who it is that has loved us first. He wanted us to know that if we're ever going to be a father to the fatherless, if we're going to care for the orphan, we need to remember God, the Father himself. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We are not superior to the widow and the orphan. We are the widow and the orphan. We're the one who needs protecting. We're the one who needs loving. We're the one who needs the father to fight for us. We're the one who needs a husband to care and provide for us. And so just as God has reached down from heaven, just as God has stood on the cross to die so that we might be sons and daughters of the king, so he calls us to care for the orphan and the widow. Let me begin where I started. Our world will tell us that we're to pursue the most important. Who's the most influential? Who's the most intelligent? Who's the most beautiful? Who's the best, funniest, wittiest person in the room? To look for the best seat at the table. But our almighty God doesn't stand with princes or kings or Instagram influencers. He stands with the poor and the lonely and the oppressed. He fights for them. He cares for them. He hears their cry. And one time long ago in Bethlehem, he stepped out of heaven and became one of them. We're going to watch a video on the screen and then I'll jump up after that. I grew up in this place. I saw these things happen in my community. At the very young age, I am exposed to drug selling, drug abuse, and drug running. 
Lorega is a ring in the air. If you say Lorega, then people will always associate you with drug addiction, with prostitution. Child protection is really one of the most important thing that we, uh, partners of compassion, can do to help the child. I asked him, what are the dreams? And most of the mother cried. So I changed the question and I said, okay, if you don't have a dream for yourself, what is your dream for your children? And they cried more. And uh, after talking to more than 200 parents, I can't sleep. I can't sleep because imagining and thinking about I, I will be ministering to this place where people don't have really dreams. When I was young, I don't have any hope. But then, when I came to know the Lord, it makes something new. He molded me into a beautiful one because of the hope that He gave me. It's really my dream that they can really be released from poverty in all aspects and can be an influencer in their community. I am now a teacher, so now, I can teach more students. I can teach more children, mothers, because God teach me. And I want to use my life as a living testimony to those people who don't know Christ yet. Lorega now is totally different. Before, every taxi driver will not come inside Lorega. Shooting every day. But Lorega now is uh, totally open with the gospel. I am here standing in front of you because I am one of those children. My sponsor was from the U.S. Through her, I am now a graduate student of the Bible School. I always dream with our children because their lives have been giving hope in the community. When other children will see them, it inspires others. Compassion International, the staff, the caseworker, plays a major role to instill into the child that there is hope in spite of poverty. And the region now is a, is a better place than before. I can say that God is my Redeemer. God is my cornerstone. And He has done beautiful things in my life. The reason I wanted to show that video is because we have an opportunity to transform an entire community. By ourselves, we can sponsor one child, maybe help one family. But together, by God's grace, we get to see the kind of transformation that's happened in Larega, in that region in the Philippines. So I encourage you today to consider sponsoring a child. Bron and Kathy are gonna be at the table and me as well. They've been to this region where our children are from, so you can ask them any questions you may have. And if you can't sponsor today, or if you wanted to give a one-off donation to the Highly Vulnerable Children's Fund, maybe you could write a letter to your sponsor child, or maybe you could consider other ways that God is prompting you to care for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner, to reflect this heart that he has to be a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And I also want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity in not overlooking the poor, in caring for them, standing up for them and reflecting God's heart. I just praise God for you all. Thank you.